All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you are new to Refuge Church, uh, expository preaching is a big value for us. Verse by verse, preaching through the text. And so we have made our way in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus into chapter 4. And so um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk... Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, read through all these verses that we've already covered in chapter 4 to kind of ramp us into where we were. The first three chapters of Ephesians is really doctrinal. So he, uh, Paul really lays out a ton of doctrine about our salvation and who God is and how we trust Jesus and things like that. And then these next three chapters are very practical outplays of what it means to follow Jesus. And so if you're looking for practicality in your Christian life, these next three chapters chapters of Ephesians are going to be very helpful to you, but they're all laying on the foundations of chapters 1 through 3, okay? Tracking with me there? Uh, so let's pick up in verse uh, 1, and we will, I'm going to read that, and then we'll dive into today's text. Follow along with me, if you will. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see the unity, the, the, uh, the way he's talking to the church, that we all belong to one body, that we are all one together. See that theme he has here there in uh, chapter 4? Verse 8 says, Therefore, because all that's true, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. We covered those verses last week. And then we get into today's text in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the world, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. <clears throat> so, uh, just a quick review again. Paul, again, is writing this, we believe, from house arrest. We've actually got a, pi a picture of Paul being uh, in his house arrest. Uh, his oh, wait, that's not Paul. Uh, uh, so that was early on, and whenever we did this, that was, uh, that was actually week one of our uh, a series, whenever I came out in my prison garb uh, that I keep close at hand. Uh, but he, he moves on from, uh, from writing about the foundational, again, the foundational theological truths in chapter 1 through 3, and then he immediately moves into the unity in the body, okay? Unity in the body. And he reminds us that we're called to walk with all humility and with all patience toward one another. Humility and patience toward one another. 
And the reason he says that we should do that toward one another is because there is one God and one Lord and one Savior. There's, there's no hierarchy. There's no class system. Uh, uh, there is no room to boast for us who are Christians. We have, we have no room to boast uh, because we just sang, what did we just sing in one of our songs? He found me, right? If you're a Christian, he found you. He, you didn't go up to God and go, hey, look at me. You should take me. No, we're dead and lost. and We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are lost with no hope to be found. Yet he found us. He reached down. He gave us the faith to believe and regenerated our hearts and made us al- he made us alive in Christ Jesus. So salvation is a work of the Lord and he is the one who has called us to himself. So Paul is saying, man, there's, there should be no distinctions between us. There should be no dividing lines between us. There should be nothing that keeps us as specifically as Christians from one another. From last week's text, he talked about Jesus descending onto the earth and becoming like one of us. Then he's ascending back to the Father, and he's at the right hand of God, ever interceding for us, uh, ever interceding for us uh, on, on our behalf. And so if all this is true, and it is, then how can there be? And why is there any division among Christians? If all this is true, and God has called us to himself, without regard to who we are or what we've done or what our past is, and he makes us alive, and he calls us to be family, and he makes us part of his family, why is there division between Christians? Paul says, if this exists, it should not be. If division exists between Christians, it should not be. Allow me to pause for just a moment. And let's reflect on this portion of Paul's letter. Do you walk in patience toward one another? Do you live with division between you and other believers? Do you live with division between you and your own family of Christians, people who call themselves followers of Jesus, who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus? Do you live with division within your own family? Or do you have a desire to crush the dividing walls that exist between us? Is that in your heart to go, I don't want to live with division. I don't want to live with separation. I don't want to live where there's, where there's enmity between me and my brothers and sisters. I want to find ways to crush those dividing walls. And whatever your answer is, does it reflect your standing as a follower of Jesus? And does it promote unity within the body of Christ? That's kind of what Paul's writing here. Not really, that's what he's writing here. And kind of the question that he's asking. Are you promoting unity? Are you promoting division within the body? Paul was adamant about unity within the church. He says it's one of the essential building blocks of a healthy church. You want to find an unhealthy church? Find one that's full of division. 
That's an unhealthy church. This church has been unhealthy before because there was just lots of fighting and lots of division and people trying to make moves in the church. I'm like, we got a church of like 60. Why are you trying to be something here, bro? <laughs> you know, it's just a bunch of yahoos trying to figure this out, you know? What you doing? Uh, and so we've seen that in our past before. Part of building a uh, healthy church is having healthy leaders. And I'm just going to tell you, by the grace of God, in today's context for Refuge Church, you have a group of leaders who are healthy, who love Jesus, who love one another, who love you as a church. And so we, as a collectively, should be thankful for the healthy leadership that we have. I, I love our leaders uh, honestly, we've had a tough go from time to time here at Refuge. I mean, we were a church plant 13 years ago that we just kind of started. God called a few of us out, and we planted Refuge Church. There was no church that planted us, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, church planters. Uh, but it, it's, it happens to us sometimes, right? That's the way we go and do it. Uh, uh, and I appreciate that about the, these guys are planning a church and they're here sitting and listening and learning. And I appreciate the fact that you're here doing that. It says a lot about who you are. Uh, uh, but uh, we, whenever we planted, we were here for a few years and we merged with a church, which killed two churches and uh, came and formed another really unhealthy church group together. Uh, and so it was tough for a few years with that. Uh, then we saw uh, some other churches in our area, uh, two churches closed after a while, and suddenly Refuge grew and swelled up with all these people. They didn't need other place to go, so they ended up at Refuge. And so we grew and, mul and multiplied and had two services, and, <clears throat> and it was crazy for a time. And then 2018 hit, and for us, 2018 was just a terrible, terrible stretch of three years where we just saw so many people within our church family that that tragically uh, suddenly die. And, and, and our small little church had an inordinate amount of people of sorrow and sadness that we had to endure. And finally, we came through that. We, we survived three years of really just an onslaught of sorrow and grief and, and really not, not processing it well and, and doing it well sometimes and not doing it well other times. And and so, but we survived by God's grace. We survived for three years and then COVID hit and the pandemic hits and we just have to shut the whole thing down, you know? And, and so then we come back from that and still by the grace of God, we're still here together in 2022. It's kind of crazy to think about. I, one of my favorite stories from being online church is our first, uh, our first online service whenever we did communion at my house. And and so if you were watching online during that time, uh, if, if you're new to Refuge, we take communion every week because it's something that Jesus gave us and we want to we uh, practice communion like he called us to. And, and so we do it every week. And so we were doing our first online service and it was just, you know, Carol and the kids were my, were my live audience there. They had to roll up out of bed, you know, and listen to me preach live while y'all were in your jammies. Uh, uh, and, and so it came time to do communion. And so I had to lead through communion. And I'm like, oh no, we forgot about communion. And so I was, you know, while the band was playing, I was like, Carol, we got to have something. Go find us something to do communion with. And she comes back with some tortillas. Um, 
because that's all we literally all we had. And every, if you you can actually hear it live uh, if you were to go back and watch the uh, uh, the feed. Every kid of ours that came to us whenever they came to me to give them, and I took the tortilla and handed it to them. They were like, "Is that a tortilla?" Yes. <laughs> That's a tortilla. <laughs> That's a tortilla. <clears throat> anyway, it was, it was pretty funny, but we, uh, uh, we survived that. Uh, but the, the Lord has been so gracious through 13 years to allow us to survive, and now I would say even thrive uh, by His grace and by His mercy, uh, by His great love for us. Uh, I, I believe He called us to do what we're doing, and that's to preach the gospel regularly. Uh, for us to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ regularly from this pulpit. And uh, that's why we sing the songs we sing. It's why we have our children's curriculum that we have. We're very specific about those things because we want everything to make much of Jesus, okay? That's what we do here. Uh, it's probably different from maybe where you've been before, but that's what we do here. It's how we filter our music. It's how we filter our curriculum. It's how we preach the scriptures. Uh, and so it's all about Jesus. <laughs> all right, let me, let me get back to this. So if you look back at verse 7, <clears throat> you'll see this. Uh, look what it says. Uh, you'll see that not unlike anything else in life of following Jesus, grace is the focal point, okay? Look what it says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, grace in this context is the ability to perform the task or the thing that God calls us to. Grace, he's giving us grace to live the life that he is the one that calls us to live. I mean, we, we've done nothing but grace, if you just heard that story, that recap of Refuge Church, nothing but grace since 2009. So back in Ephesians 3, Paul said his apostleship came with the gift of God's grace. Paul writes in Romans 12 that spiritual gifts that each believer is given, that they are different and they are distributed according to God's grace. And the point here is that each one of you has, by grace, received the exact portion, the exact thing, the exact amount of grace, exact amount of what you should have and what Jesus wants you to have to use within his kingdom. We all have special a special part to perform. I know that you've probably been raised in church where it all falls on the pastor, and we're going to get to what that necessarily looks like. Uh, but, but we've all been given a grace. We've all been given some type measure of grace from the Lord if you are a Christian. And again, from last week's text, it says when Jesus descended into the grave and then he ascended back to the Father, that he spent, sent the Spirit to empower each of us and give spiritual gifts to each of us that he shares with us whenever we become part of the family of God. And, it, and, and from the text, we learn that, that Jesus, as our conquering king, gathered those gifts and gives them out generously to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We looked back to, from that from Psalm 68. That's what it alluded to uh, from last week's text. And our king has great expectations for us to use those gifts. For us to take those gifts that he gives us, that he has generously given each of you, and use those in his kingdom. He wants to use them for the building of unity, for see power come into the church, for encouraging one another and, and the believers, and to lay a good, solid foundation, gospel-rich foundation, not only in our church, but in our homes and in the lives of people that we come into contact with. 
So I asked this before, I'll ask it again to you today. What are your spiritual gifts? Have any of you discovered your spiritual gifts? I've already asked you this once. I'm asking you again. Have you discovered what your spiritual gift is? And if not, let's get busy about that. Let's find out what that is. You know, I don't know how to do that, preacher. Hey, ask one of us. We're happy to help you learn what it looks like to discover your spiritual gift and to put, and to put it into work. You're like, well, preacher, I don't even know what spiritual gifts are. Glad you asked. I made a list. Uh, if you were to write these down and go look at these in the scriptures, this is a listing of where you're going to find spiritual gifts. They're listed. The New Testament writers knew what was going on, knew that God was appropriating spiritual gifts to his people, and so they made a list of those kind of things. This is what it looks like when the Spirit gives you gifts. And so you can go and find some of those spiritual gifts there and look and go, hey, well, maybe I have the gift of X, or maybe I have the gift of Y, or whatever these things are. And you, you may look at it and go, I still don't know what they are. Hey, come and ask us. There's ways to figure that out. There's ways to go, hey, let me figure out what it is, what my spiritual gift is, and how I can actually use it. But in today's text, Paul uh, focuses on four spiritual gifts to the church. Look at verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, do we have apostles today? One person says no. It's few. I heard a yes. Do we have apostles today? Everybody has to vote. Okay. We don't play this game. Uh, Everybody has to participate. Uh, Do we have apostles today? Who says yes? Raise your hand. Who says no? Raise your hand. Who did not vote in that last poll? Raise your hand. Okay. I see you people. I see who you are. We do not have apostles today. Do we have prophets today? We're going to take another poll. Who says, yes, we have prophets today? Raise your hand. Who says, no, we do not have prophets today? Raise your hand. Who did not vote? Raise your hand. Okay. No, we do not have prophets within the office that Paul is writing about specifically. Well, Well, how do you know that, preacher? There are some churches that adopt these titles, apostle. Anybody heard that? Have you heard that? Nod your head, yes or no. I need to know. I'm asking you questions. Uh, There are people that will call, specifically people that stand in the pulpit, the apostle, right? There are people that will call people prophets from time to time. But the, the truth is, Paul's already mentioned both of these offices in our text that we've actually covered already. Look back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. It will not be on your, you can write that down or just look at it. Here's what he says. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on, listen, so he's saying this faith that we have is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, okay? So he's saying the faith we have The faith that I'm writing to you about is built on, which means it's already there, which means it's foundational, which means it has happened already, is built on the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? Thank you. Cornerstone. Uh, 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Then in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, this is what he says. <coughs> when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made unknown to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, protectors of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he says that already these mysteries have been built on the apostles and the prophets who were existing in the time when he was there. Okay, tracking with me there? So the apostles were, G- were what? You know? Yeah, the disciples, the Jesus 12, the 12 that he called that followed him closely. Those were his apostles. And the prophets were those who people who came alongside the apostles during that day who continued to proclaim the message during that time that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one who was to come, and Jesus is the one who is, is the Savior of the world. And both of those were given to establish the church on a solid footing uh, during the times that the scriptures were written. Now, what is the foundation today that is really in their place? Do you know what it is? We sing a song about it. I have a big one on the podium. Yes, the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. So I've told this before, but when my kids were little, Drew, I did this when he was little, he sang that song, the B-I-B-L-E. Sang like he had a very high-pitched voice at the time. Uh, The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of Scott, the B-I-B-L-E. Because I was the preacher, that's all he ever heard about. I was like, no, 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 don't say that, don't say that. Uh, 2 Timothy, uh, uh, chapter 3. Hey, we turn that heat down now, it's hot up here. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. And so that, that, that tells us that the Scripture has been established, that, that the apostles and the prophets were people who were establishing the Scriptures at the time. But there's a group that God gave to every generation, and that is evangelists and pastors and preachers. F.F. Bruce says this, the apostles as an order of the ministry of the church were not perpetuated beyond the apostolic age, but the various functions they discharged did not lapse for their departure, but continue to be performed by others, notably the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. And so we go back to our text in uh, chapter, uh, in verse 11 says, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, What we see today is evangelists, whenever we see them, evangelists are given, and those are the guys that will stand on the pulpit, and when they preach, people just come to Jesus. I mean, they preach, and they could preach just about a a rando text, and people just start repenting and and come to Jesus. Um, um, They regularly see new converts. Now, many people claim to be evangelists, but many are nothing more than charlatans. And they use the guise of the pulpit and the name of our great God and King as nothing more than a moneymaker. You see many of them on TV. See many of them on the internet. Some of them, I've heard you say, are some of your favorite people to watch when you're not coming to church on Sundays. I've rebuked a few of you 
over listening to some of these yahoos, and I'll continue to do so as I hear you utter such foolishness, because I love you. Amen? Know that your pastor loves you, and that uh, we don't want you listening to some charlatan along the way. But what they do is they'll attach the gospel to something else. They'll attach the gospel to some perceived need or specifically some financial gain that benefits them and their ministry rather than specifically just preaching the gospel. That's a good key way in trying to figure out who these people are. The gospel is not for sale. Okay? The gospel is not for sale. It is the free gift. Say free gift. It is the free gift of salvation from God to mankind. The cost was a cost. It cost God his precious son. God the son gave up his own life, shed his precious blood to cover your sin debt. And that is not for sale. He said it is the free gift that he offers you. All it takes to receive this free gift is to recognize your sin. Through repentance and faith, you receive this free gift. Repentance means turning from your sin. Faith means trusting in his finished work, trusting in his righteousness and not my own. That's what it means to to appropriate this free gift to yourself. You may say, well, preacher, I have to give up a lot to follow Jesus. You know, you're right. There are some things that we're called to give up whenever we follow Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Use your device, turn your Bibles, whatever this is, and turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read this. This is vitally important. Here's what Paul writes to the Colossians. We're talking about giving some things up and appropriating some things in our own life. Here's Here's what the text says. Paul says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things who are above. Okay, he's telling us to do something. Seek the things that are above. If you're an underliner, highlighter, I'd highlight that. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Underline verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Underline these next four words. For you have died. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then then you also will appear with him in glory. Then he starts talking about the things that we're called to put to death, okay? So there are some things that we're going to have to give up. Here's what he says. Put these things to death. What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality. Here, let me sidebar. Some of you in this church building today, some of you who are watching today are involved in sexual immorality. And you call yourself a Christian, stop. It's time to stop. That that is a very explicit command in the scriptures. Put to death, which means kill, stab in the heart, cut its throat, whatever you got to do, bury it in the ground, put to death, Sexual immorality. If you name the name of Jesus, put it to death. Repent of it. Here's the beauty of the gospel. That if you repent of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? 
That's the scandalous nature of the gospel, is that Jesus will forgive even our most egregious, even our most practiced, even our most deep, dark sins that Jesus can and does and will forgive us. Amen? Glory of the gospel. But he says, put that to death. He keeps on, I'll keep going. Impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things that he just mentioned, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too, what? Once walked. He said, Christian, you used to walk in these. This used to be your life, but you don't do that anymore. When you were living in it, you once walked in them when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And then he gives another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self. You see the picture he keeps telling you? This is who I used to be. This is the stuff I did. And now that I'm in Christ, I'm called to not do and live and say and be in the middle of that stuff anymore. See that? This ain't your preacher talking. This is the scripture speaking. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and have put on, you have now put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Back to what we were talking about. There's no differences between us. This is not like, well, I lived here and I grew up in this neighborhood, and, and you don't know the life I've had. No, he said, that doesn't matter. We're all kind of the same. There's nobody that's a privileged class or nobody that's a lesser class. There's nobody that's got these excuses. Nobody has these other excuses that we all live this way and we're all called to live the same way, okay? And then in verse 12, he's talking about stuff that we get rid of and now he's talking about stuff that we put on. Here's what he says in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. God has chosen you to be his own. To make you his own. You are his bride. You belong to him. He chose you. And says, since he has chosen you, put this garment on. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against each other, what? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I've always said that whenever we refuse to forgive someone who specifically asks us for forgiveness, if we refuse to forgive someone, we're holding someone to a higher standard or unwilling to do what God has done for us as Christians. As the Lord has forgiven you, so all, you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, underline this. And whatever you do, that means in case I missed it, whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's Colossians chapter 3. So 
So these are the things that the evangelists and the teachers and the preachers would say. Put these things to death if you're, if you're a Christian, and put these things on if you're a Christian. And can you honestly find anything in that list that Paul says to put off that would not be a good thing to put off? You know what I'm saying? I'm holding on to malice. <laughs> Seems like a good thing to hold on to. How dumb does that sound coming out of my mouth? Or do you honestly find anything in that list that Paul says is good not to put on? Of course not. Yeah, I'm not doing the humility thing. You know what I'm saying? These are all good things for us to put on. And so this is what the evangelists and the preachers and the teachers each call us to. But there is a distinction uh, that it says Paul lists the, uh, these out in kind of different ways for a specific reason. Um, there are, again, I'll say it again, there are evangelists who are called out there, and they have a very specific gifting, they have a very specific ministry. Think Billy Graham, okay? When Billy Graham can go into, I saw him here in the Liberty Bowl, I think I've said that here before, I saw him at the Liberty Bowl here when I was a kid, and he preached a sermon. It wasn't a sermon unlike anything I'd ever heard before. It was very straightforward, very gospel-centered. Very talked about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. I mean, he, he preached Christ and him crucified very regularly, if you ever heard Billy Graham preach. And whenever he finished and he called people to repentance, people coming out of the woodwork, down the, I mean, from the top of the stadium, making their way down, down the front, and hundreds if not thousands of people showed up to give their hearts to Jesus. That's an evangelist for you, okay? The people that have that kind of gifting, whenever they pronounce, whenever they say and, and call people to come to Jesus, people just come to Jesus. And, now, and then he makes a distinction between teacher and pastor, or he would say shepherd. Peter reminds us to, us preachers specifically, to shepherd the flock that is among us. Paul says, pay special attention to your flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church which Christ has obtained with his own blood. That's what he's called us as pastors, specifically of this church, to shepherd this flock. Now, there may be times that the Holy Spirit moves and, and we see like an evangelistic movement of the Spirit where more and more people come to Jesus. But he calls us as pastors, specifically in the church, to shepherd the flock. To shepherd the flock that is among us. Three times, uh, Jesus tells Peter to do the same thing. Feed my sheep. And this is one of the glaring deficiencies, I believe, in the pulpit today. John Stott says believers, that he believes this very thing, that is the greatest need of the church today is good biblical exposition of the Scriptures. Reading the text, understanding the text, explaining the text, applying the text... Hearing from me what the Holy Spirit and what he wants this church or a specific church or a specific people to understand from whatever that text may say. The last thing you need from this pulpit is sermons to tell you to do better and try harder. The last thing you need from this pulpit is a message of health, wealth, and prosperity that if you'll follow Jesus, that everything will be fine. And the last thing you need to, from this pulpit is just a checklist of things to make you feel better about yourself. 
That is not good expository preaching. Yes, there are things in the scriptures that we just saw that tells us to put some things off and to put some things on. And there are some things that we actually do as Christians. But every time a writer speaks about this in the New Testament, it is undergirded with the gospel. Every time that they tell us to do something or to put something away, first they're going to tell you, but first you need to understand that the power to do any of that and the power to live a certain way that you're called is because the Spirit of God, because Jesus has given his life for you and the Spirit of God will live in you and indwell you and empower you to live the way that I'm about to call you to live. See that? And you're a part of all this. As you walk in on Sundays into a refuge church service, or if you're watching online or wherever, you, wherever you, your church service may happen to be, let me encourage you to this. Take notes. Write in your Bible. Pay attention. This is not some religious exercise to just show up for. If you can't do it here, and if you can't pay attention here, or you don't get nothing out of the services here, Find a church where you can sit under biblical teaching and do that very thing. If you can't do it here, find a place to do it. Because that needs to be, this needs to be a place where the church comes and the saints come to be fed. And sometimes people come that are outside the household of faith and they hear the gospel and they respond and become saved. But this is really many times for us as Christians to follow and to learn and to be disciples of Jesus. And we need to do that week after week after week until the Lord calls us home. Let's keep going. Verse 12. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I've got a lot to do. Um, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So what Paul is writing here is um, that he has equipped the people in the church body, not just the pastors, but who? To do the work of the ministry. What does he say? What? Yeah, the saints, the saints, the people, that's you. The saints, the body, to do the work of the ministry. You are equipped. You are, trying, you are called to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And, and, and this verse, among many others, destroy most of the ways that churches are set up. Maybe the church that you grew up in. Maybe the church that you're used to. Maybe the church that you wish this one was. But it destroys that whole hierarchy of a top-down approach like a pyramid where the pastor's at the top and then everybody else flows down from that and whatever he just says goes. There's some examples um, uh, like, like the, the, the pastor's just at the top disseminating information and everybody just sits there and listens and then goes about their business. So that, that's a terrible way for this churches to operate. Or another analogy is that the pastor becomes the driver of the bus and everybody just gets on the bus. The pastor comes by and is like, hey, get on the bus, find a seat somewhere. I'm driving the bus. Ugh. That's not the life that Jesus calls us to. Now, the biblical model is that for the pastor, whoever's in this pulpit, to prepare, say prepare, prepare God's people for the work of the ministry. This is one of the reasons we share the pulpit a lot. It's why I don't do all the preaching all the time. I know that my role is teaching pastor, and I know that's my primary job here at Refuge is to be the teaching pastor at Refuge. But honestly, I'm not the pastor of the church. I'm not the pastor, and Pastor Paul and Pastor PJ and Pastor Blake are secondary pastors. That's not the way this works here. 
Each of us have a gifting that God has called us in this role, and each of you have a gifting that you're called to use into the betterment of the church. Each of our parts are equally important. Your part is vitally important. Your part is to be built up, to be growing in Christ, to be equipped so that you can in turn build others up and equip others. That's what discipleship keeps continuing to look like. You too busy for this? You too busy for that kind of lifestyle? Got too many irons in the fire to have to study and learn and be a disciple and be part of a gospel community group and you know, show up during the middle of the week and actually learn together and open the Bibles together? Too busy for that? Too many things pulling you in another direction? Then I'm just going to tell you, our elders implore you to look at your schedule, to look at your life and go, what's out of whack here? And ask yourself these questions. Are you involved in the work of the ministry? Are you being built up in the body of Christ? Look, your Heavenly Father is not concerned if you become a preacher or a teacher or a pastor or an evangelist. You, you might. He calls unlikely people to become preachers and church planters. I sold empty boxes for a living, for goodness sake, for 20 years. Here's what he does call. God definitely calls a Christian to be his disciple. You may not be called to be a preacher, but if you're a Christian, he does call you to be his disciple. Are you a disciple? I'm not asking if you're saved. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm saying, are you a disciple of Jesus? Being a disciple is not for the faint-hearted. Matthew chapter 10, this is what Jesus says. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will, defi- will uh, find it. Luke chapter 14, uh, the cost of discipleship, this is what's written. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to the crowd, this is Jesus talking to the crowd, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now does Jesus want us to hate our mother or father? That's right. No, he does not. That's the correct answer, young man. He does not want us to hate our mother or father, but what Jesus is saying in this text is it should look like that. The, w- the way that we follow Jesus, the way our allegiances belong to him, much more so than, they, than mine belong to my wife, much more so than my allegiances belong to my children, my allegiances belong to Jesus. Whatever he calls me to is of utmost importance. He says this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether or not he will be with 10,000 men to meet him, or who comes against him with 20,000. And if, and if not, while the other's yet a great way off, he sends a delegate to ask for terms of peace. He's like, hey, you better be prepared, because you're going to be in some battles. Then he closes with this. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Sobering words. 
from Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is serious. It's life-altering. And many times, it requires a change in our priorities. Some of your priorities need to change. I watch your life. Some of your priorities need to change. You're not following Jesus. You claim to follow Jesus. You would tell people you follow Jesus with your mouth, but your life would tell them something different. Let me keep going, and I've got to figure out how to close this, land this plane. He says this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Um, Sometimes it's hard for people to make decisions. Think about that when you read these verses. Look at verse 14. Uh, It says, Paul says, when we first become believers, we are immature. We're tossed like the wind to and fro. You know what that's like? Where you have no control and you don't have have firm footing and and you just can't seem to find your way along the way. When I was was in... uh, uh, college, I went to Panama City Beach and got caught out between the waves, you know, out there in the middle where you can't go out deeper and you can't go out further, you can't get back to the beach and you think you're going to drown. I thought I was going to drown because I couldn't touch the bottom and the waves were just tossing me to and fro. Paul likens that feeling to this way and he says many of us are that way because we're immature in our faith and we don't ever grow past that piece and uh, past that place. And so we just get tossed left and right by just the the cares of the world and and false doctrines. That's why many of you listen to these goofball preachers on TV because you don't know good doctrine when you hear it. And he says, you're immature in your faith whenever we live that way. Paul says many times we're, as new believers, we're fickle and unstable and gullible. And we're prone to listen to every preacher and every fad that comes along the way. And you go, well, I've been a Christian for 12 years, preacher. That ain't me. I'm saying it could be you. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Are you growing? Paul talks about that in the New Testament. He says sometimes we're just still in the milk. And we need to be eating the meat. Some of you are still in the milk. Why does he say this? He says, because there are wolves that are set out to destroy you, that you have an enemy that is set out to destroy you. And if we're not aware of that, and if we, don't, if we live like children, then it's easy to destroy us. Easy to destroy who we are. It's easy to destroy our testimony. It's easy to draw us away. And God gives the church pastors and teachers to help you be aware of the people that you should be aware of. He calls the more mature Christians to step in and help. He talks about that in verse 13. He says that that we're called to help you grow into the fullness of Christ. We're called to lead you into the fullness of Christ. Honestly, that's why we call you to be part of gospel community groups. We're not trying to keep you busy. We're trying to help you grow. 
We're trying to help you not be tossed to and fro. We're trying to help you not be caught up by the enemy. We love you. We are for you. We desire for you to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. Let me close. Last two verses. Rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly, making the body uh, grow so that it builds itself up in love. We speak the truth in love. Sometimes love hurts. Love hurts. <laughs> you know, sometimes it does, right? Sometimes it takes a, a cutting wound to heal something. Don't run from this. Embrace this for your good, for your growth, for your godliness. We're to be built up in love is what Paul says. It says we're to do these things. Love one another. Just as I've loved you, to love one another. People will know your disciples by the love that you have for one another. With this, I, I got I to shut it down. What do we do? So what do we do with this? One, thank God for gifted leaders. I'm just going to tell you, I'll say it again. Refuge Church, thank God for the leaders that you have in this church. They love Jesus and they love you. The things that the leadership does in this church is to try to build you up and equip you for the work of the ministry. That's what the scripture calls us to do. And that's what we're trying to do as leaders in this church, in your church, is to build you up in the Lord Jesus so that you can be a fully formed disciple of Jesus. Get involved somewhere in a gospel community group, in a DNA group, in a Bible study. Uh, get, get where you're learning the scriptures. Grow in Christ. Get off the milk. Eat some meat. Or whatever you vegetarians eat. Uh, eat. Take, in, take in the nourishment from the scriptures. Find ways to do that. Speak the truth in love to each other. Be transparent with one another. Honest, loving speech toward one another. Build yourself up in the fellowship of the saints. <coughs> in the middle of that, watch what God does. Watch what God chooses to do in your life. Watch what God chooses to do in the life of this church family. Watch what God chooses to do to reach our people that don't know Jesus yet. Where do you fit into this? Are you in Christ? Are you a Christ follower? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Or are you just played church? Do you have a plan for discipleship? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of our King Jesus. Ask for help. We love you. We're for you. But more than that, Jesus loves you. Let me pray for us.